You're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations. All while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. This is Fearless Business, and this is Robin Waite. So welcome back, everybody. It's Robin Waite here, the host of the Fearless Business Podcast. I have got amazing guest on today. Uh, it is Paul Maskell, who is an entrepreneur, a multiple business owner, and a podcast host of the Business Owners Freedom Formula. I'm super excited for us to have a chat today, Paul, because I know you've got a ton of value to add to the uh, into both the Coaching Consultant Handbook and the Fearless Business Podcast. How are you doing, Paul? Doing well, Robin. How are you? Yeah, I'm excellent. Can't wait to get stuck in. So um, we're going to learn a little bit about Paul and uh, sort of how you got to where, you know, where you are today, a little bit sort of uh, further on through the podcast. But I wanted to just um, throw in a slightly different question because we have a lot of coaching consultants in this group who are maybe kind of struggling a little bit with their business at the moment. And actually, I want to get an understanding of what, what the typical day looks like for one of Paul's clients. Yeah, so there's a wide range of, you know, obviously everyone's typical day or normal day is different, but I would say I focus on the people that are a little bit burned out, stressed out, uh, working too much in their business. They started their business because they're good at it, whether they're a coach, a consultant, or they're a local service provider, or they're providing some other type of service, like a marketing service or anything like that. So they started it, they're great at it, and then the business started to consume them. So they might be getting up like I am at 4.30 in the morning, but they're getting up at 4.30 in the morning because uh, they have to start chasing their tail and they don't really stop until, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I have some clients who are even medical practitioners who, you know, they might be practicing their medicine or whatever they're practicing from nine to five. And then when the doors close at five, then they have to go do all the back end of their business from five to 10 at night. Uh, so that's kind of, at least when they come to me, that's their typical day. Uh, they're stuck. If you use the E-Myth method, if any of your listeners or viewers know what the E-Myth is, they're stuck working in their business all day and they need to start working on their business so their business can start to run without them. So what, um, what sort of symptoms, what's the first signs they, you know, because it sounds like there's, there's going to be a lot of business owners running around out there who are just kind of slightly strung out, slightly burnt out. So what sort of warning signs are we likely to see? It's uh, a good question. So I would say, you know, one of them is that passion that they had when they started their business is starting to fade. So, uh, you know, when we start our business, we're all excited. This is my passion. I love it. Uh, it's kind of the like the baker syndrome, the person who loves to bake things. And then they said, I'll start a business. So I'll start baking things and sell them. And then all of a sudden they hate baking because it's turned into a job. So I think that's another symptom is it no longer feels like you're a business owner. It just feels like a very stressful job. They're burned out. Like you said, they're strung out. They're probably things probably aren't going well at home either because they're always thinking about business. They're on their phone 24 uh, seven and they just can't escape uh, from this problem that, you know, they've kind of created on their own. So I would say that's probably their, you know, their biggest symptom in general is that passion, that fire, that excitement that they had when they started their business is just not there anymore because it's really turned into a job. 
It's, it's funny as well. You talked about the whole, uh, sort of baking the cake analogy there as well. And I, I, I noticed that when things start to go wrong in small businesses, that people start to change the recipe. You know, they change the ingredients. They start to change the timing they put the ingredients in. They, they change the temperature that they bake it at and then wonder why the results have changed. And actually, sometimes it's just about kind of busting through all of those, you know, those challenges. And, you know, sometimes you do have to just be consistent and do the same thing. Because I've noticed, um, I don't know about you, Paul, but clients are like buses. They tend to kind of come along in like twos and threes and then you don't hear you know you don't see any buses for a while um you know so I, i'm interested about kind of the passion side of things because that's not something actually we've had uh, anybody really go into a detail on on, on, the, on the podcast yet but so so once we've kind of identified some of those symptoms and uh we've realized that actually what we were once passionate about you know we're no longer feeling that passion anymore so what are the first steps to, to uncover that and start to um, reignite that passion that they once had yeah. So I think, I mean, really where I start is why are they doing this? So why did you start this business in the first place? What were you trying to achieve with this business? Was it personal goals, family goals, professional goals? Usually we started our business to make more, to work less and have the freedom to do what we want, when we want, where we want, with who we want. And then that doesn't happen. So going back to what does your life, <clears throat> excuse me, what does your life look like when you've kind of quote unquote made it. Now you'll never make it because if you get complacent, you're gonna fall off the top. But what, what did you envision? You know, what is your why? What does that look like? And how can we start to get back on the path of working towards that? So I have a lot of clients, it's like, oh, I, you know, I, I really just want to be able to travel, spend more time with my kids, go to all their soccer games. Yet their actions aren't mapping to that. So why aren't your actions mapping to that? Usually they don't want to give up control. So the baker is the perfect example. Nobody can bake this cake as well as I can. Nobody can spread that icing as well as I can. And nobody can sell it as well as I can because it's my business. It's my baby. And I, I care about it more than anybody else. All those are 100% probably true. But if you start creating the systems and processes around it, to your point of the recipe, Anybody can do it. Now, they might not do it as good as you can because they don't have that extra oomph of, I own this business and it's my baby, but they'll do it, you know, 80 to 90, 95% as well as you can. And that is just fine. Like that is perfectly fine. So then you can achieve those goals that you set when you started your business in the first place. So that's really, you know, where I see kind of getting people reset, you know, so they can get back on that path of these are the goals. This is what I really want to achieve. And it's going to be okay if someone else pours the flour in and then mixes the water and puts the eggs in and turns the oven on 400 or whatever, you know, it's, it's okay. And that, and that will allow you to get to where you want to go. It's a nice thing which you kind of alluded to there, which is like prolific beats perfect. Getting, getting 85, 90% of the result, but consistently is actually as good as, you know, the, you know, searching for that perfection all of the time, because it, it's really hard to find, isn't it? It's, it's funny, there's something which um, resonated kind of, uh, is, is there an element of um, that, you know, your entrepreneurial journey that you've gone through this and experienced it, that you kind of pull into the work which you do with your clients? Yeah. So, I mean, that's really how it came to be. So my first business, I left the corporate world. I was sitting in a cubicle, hated it. It was like, there's no, I don't really understand why people do something for 40 years that they hate to then go enjoy retirement when you're like 70 and you might as well enjoy something you do every day. So I, anyway, I quit my job, started a business. We were running uh, after school golf and tennis programs for kids, summer camps. So it was a local business. We were serving the local community and I got to the point where, I mean, originally I was like, this is fun. I love it. And I still loved it, but I 
there was an opportunity in the market to continue to grow. And I literally couldn't grow anymore because I was the bottleneck. So I had a staff out delivering the service, but everything else I was doing. So whether it was the accounting, the marketing, the sales, the operations, I was doing everything. And I literally didn't have any more time. Uh, you know, so the question for me came was what happens if I got hit by a bus? And if I realized if I got hit by a bus, the business would go to zero really quickly. And I didn't want to leave my family in that position. I didn't want to leave my customers in that position. And I didn't want to leave, you know, my staff in that position. So for me, I realized the worst case scenario is right now. So if I go delegate everything and it doesn't work, I'm just going to end up back where I am am today anyway. So there's really no risk involved. So why don't I start documenting these things and, you know, really mapping it out of who does what. And these are imaginary people at the time. Like if I'm in operations, what am I doing? Or if I'm in customer support, what am I doing? So mapping all this out and then just starting to delegate it to people who I had already hired to go deliver the service. I just said, Hey, you guys are already delivering the service. You know about the business. Is anybody interested in working more hours and transitioning roles? And there's I had to line out the door of people who wanted to do that. So for me, it was personal experience of, I started this business because I loved it, but then it turned into a job and it turned into something where, to me, a definition of a job is you're only making money when you're working. And that's exactly what it was. And I wanted to be a business owner. I didn't want to be a business operator, just operating, you know, basically a day-to-day job. So anyway, I did that. It worked. I sold the business. And then people started coming to me and saying, how did you do that? So I started teaching them how I did that. So talk to me about sort of time, time scales when all of this was happening. So when did you set that business up? How long did it take to kind of um, implement all of the, the kind of standard operating procedures into that business and uh, get, get introduced that kind of culture? I, I really like the fact that you said you had that queue of people, you know, uh, queuing up outside the door to come and come and work for you and, and do those extra hours because I think that sounds like it's a testimony to the the culture which you brought into that business so talk to us about sort of the timescales the culture and then what that process of selling the business looked like yeah so we'll hit on the culture first and that's really what I work on with all my clients is building that culture with the team because you don't want it to turn into a job for them either you want it to be fun and you want them to be engaged and you know firing all, on all cylinders and what I realized to build that culture is really just have empathy so I started the business from the ground up so I had done all the jobs they were already doing so I knew what it took I knew the parts of that job that sucked I knew the parts of the job that made it fun and I just kind of hit on those and you know the parts of the job that sucked I tried to get out there and just make that part easier or empathize with them. Like, Hey, I know that's not the most fun part, you know, but this happened. Here's a bonus. Let's go out to dinner, whatever it is, like just continuing to keep them engaged and building that culture of, you know, Hey, I get it. Let's recognize you. Let's appreciate you. And really let's just communicate. So I think where a lot of bosses, you know, quote unquote bosses go wrong is I'm the boss. You're building my empire when really we're building this together. And if we get to where we want to go, everybody achieves their goals. So if Robin's on my team, Robin, what's, what's your goal? Well, I, you know, I really want to go on a cruise with my family. You know, they've always wanted to do that. Okay. That's your goal. I'm going to help you achieve that goal. Or, Hey, I really want to go back to school. Okay. That's your goal. How can I help you achieve it? And then you work together. Robin achieves his goal. The business achieves our goal and we all win together. So, you know, from a culture standpoint, that's what I find really works well. And then as far as the timeline, I was probably maxed out within two years of running the business and we were doing probably 200 to 250,000 in revenue. And I realized there was just so much opportunity in the market that I, I, I would be dumb not to go capture it. And like I said, the worst case scenario was what I'm doing anyway. So what's the risk? So uh, 
I mean, I started it pretty quickly, but to get fully operational, everything firing on all cylinders probably took, you know, eight to 12 months. But as you know, time flies in business ownership. And when you're coaching people, even it's like, hey, what's our goals? And then all of a sudden now it's September and then pretty, pretty soon the year's over. So it felt very quick. It was like nine to 12 months. And then at that point, you know, we're growing, we doubled in size within two years uh, and we sold it within two years. So from that time wow. to, you know, from the time I said, let's do this to the time I sold it, it was basically two years, um, which in business is pretty short. <laughs> I, I, that's super fast. I mean, that's, that's like hats off to you. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. One, one thing which resonated there is, um, so I, I, when I first set up my coaching practice, I was doing some work with a, a large eight figure law firm and, um, Went in there to do a bit of, cult, not so much culture change, but um, they had quite a high staff turnover. I did a very simple exercise where I was talking to them about, um, we did a goal setting exercise. So just a very simple, hey, we'll whiz around the 12 people in the team, we'll just talk about our goals. And of course, they all went straight to their business goals. And I, and I, I, I said straight away, well, that's quite interesting that you'll put your business goals down. Let's go around again and just put our personal goals down. And um, it was majority female team, four of the, um, the women just broke down started crying and um i caught up with them individually during the break and uh i was kind of just interested i just said you know what what's that what's that all about it's obviously very impactful there's something powerful has happened you know and um they all said you know pretty much identikit they said we've never been asked you know one of the women have worked there for 15 plus years you know nobody has ever asked us about our own like our personal goals or our personal lives or what we want to get out of this and it's shocking that big businesses you know eight figure businesses can be doing that to their staff and showing such a lack of interest and I think that's one of the beautiful things that we get to do as coaches is um is you talked about building the dream you know and building it, it, you're helping other people to build their dreams and it's actually a really noble thing to do and probably you know we we don't let our, our egos kind of get out there but actually we should praise ourselves for that because we're kind of sacrificing our dreams a little bit to help other people build their dreams I'm interested what what sort of um what sort of clients do you work with if you I bet you've got some great case studies that you can share with the the listeners about similar transformations that you've created in other people's businesses as well as well as your own yeah so i like working with service-based businesses so whatever service they provide like we said it could be a coach it could be a marketer it could be an auto mechanic i've really worked with people of all different realms but usually the the key there is the service that they provide they started it because they're good at it or they liked it and then maybe you know they had success because they were good at it. And then it just kind of, like you said, it kind of consumed themselves. Um, so, I mean, I would say, you know, some of the case studies, uh, I had a guy, he actually owned an auto repair shop uh, here in the States and it was a family business. He had been running it for like 60, it had been open for 67 years. It was his grandfather's, then his father's and then his. So it was kind of part of his life. is isn't, you know, entire life basically. And he was now running it and he just said, you know, it feels like a job, you know, we're making okay money, but the, the staff's kind of burned out. I don't know if we can compete, you know, the, the big guys down the street and the franchises and the dealerships. And uh, I, I just don't know where to go next. So we started working together and literally after like eight weeks, we got everything turned around and within three months. So, you know, within three months from the time we started working together, they had their best year, best month in 67 years. The employees were thrilled. The customers were like, this is amazing. Uh, and it's really, you know, like you said, it goes back to that culture and making sure everyone's bought in and 
people that when you start to build that culture, people kind of self, self-select themselves out if it doesn't fit for them. And, you know, it makes your job easier. You don't really have to fire anybody. You just say, hey, this is where we're going. And the people that are on board are like gung-ho. And the people that aren't are like, okay, you know, this is good, but I, I might look elsewhere. Uh, and then the customers just start eating it up. So, you know, what I realized is all the little things are what make the big difference. And most times we as business owners, we forget the little things because we get so consumed with the day-to-day grind, you know, so, hey, we got to fix this car. Yes, you got to fix the car, but you also have to have empathy for that customer and, you know, put them at ease. And what are their pain points, you know? So just using that, that aspect, you know, in the, in the auto repair world, most customers are clueless and they feel like every time they take their car in to get fixed, they're going to get ripped off. So like, how do we combat that? And how do we proactively combat that? So then people will pay you a premium for that. And it has nothing to do with the service you deliver. It's how you deliver it. So, you know, that's what we really like to focus on is all the stuff within the customer experience that you can then systematize so that it happens every single time. And it's not, oh, whenever Joe answers the phone, everyone's nice. But if Robin answers, like, I, I need to hang up and call somebody else. So, you know, <laughs> well, really- I hope they don't have that impact. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm working on reception in your, in your client's garage, you know, hopefully they, they would all want to talk to me. <laughs> exactly. So we really try to build it no matter who answers the phone. It's like, I know when I call that place, I get the best experience, the best service, and they're not going to take advantage of me. And then they start referring you like crazy. You know, they spend more money with you and it really just builds a well-oiled machine. So I would say that was, that was like one of the very first clients I worked with a couple years ago. Um, you know, so I would say that's probably one good example, but it's really, you could take that to any, like I said, any industry. And it's usually, we forget about all the little things that make a difference. Even though we as consumers, we expect really good customer service. We don't always deliver it for our business, you know? So, uh, that first impression is so important. Absolutely. Uh, I, it's the little things I'm interested in, actually, because um, I noticed on your um, your LinkedIn post, Lo, uh, we're going to update this, but um, the top five things you need to be you need to stop doing immediately. Do you, could you lay down what those five things are? Because it strikes me that those five things are kind of they're probably little things, but with a major impact. Yeah, they are little things. Uh, let me open that document if you want the exact five things to make sure uh, I'm not giving people misinformation. But it is all the little things and making sure you care for your customers, um, you know, and that's really what we, we totally forget. So um, let me pull up those. I'll pull up a couple we'll go through. So, so some is, um, you know, really having the empathy for the customer. So when they are going through these certain situations, how would, how would you react if, you know, if, if you were a customer, um, and let me pull up the top five mistakes here. I got a lot of different lead magnets, <laughs> Mr. Robin. I'm uh, sorry to throw in. A, I said I wouldn't throw any curveballs, but I, I was just curious because it seemed to tie in quite nicely with kind of that process that you you go through with your with your clients. Yes, it and it and it does, and it's really simple things. Um, you know that that you can implement literally within within an hour. Um, and you're throwing me curveballs at five a.m. So we'll get back to that. <laughs> I promise I will share that with you. You guys don't have to give me your email address. Um, but you know, even if it it's is- even if it's just a sort of just a very brief kind of list of the five things, because again, like it, you know, it's funny. I, I find that um, like business is is something which everybody assumes is is 
simple, it's straightforward. It's like mum said that I, you know, I did this, I, I baked great cakes, so I should go out and start selling them. And naturally we think that because mum thinks they're great, everybody else is going to think they're great. And so I find a lot of um, business owners are very, um, that they, they have, they hold a lot of certifications. So that they're like, they've got tons like, you know, especially in the coaching world, NLP certifications, International Coaching Federation, they've got all their CPD, corporate personal development points, you know, but over here, they're struggling to get clients. And, um, you know, I think it's this, we live in this world where because the internet, we have all this information at our fingertips, we should just be able to go out there and work all of this stuff out for ourselves. And actually, like, I think that business is, is more complex than it has ever been. Um, and I think kind of uh, my point is that remembering some of the very basic stuff, like the simple things, as you've, you've alluded to, um, in, in our business actually is, is the key to unlocking you know, the, it's, it's, these are the clues that we need to be looking at in order to build a successful business. It's, it's a bit like, um, do, you, do you know about the Sky Cycling team and their, their marginal gains exercises? Somebody on my podcast had brought that up. Um, so that's, I do know a fair amount about it, but you, you know, know so more about it. <laughs> well, they, yeah, well, they, well, I'm a keen cyclist, but they, so they, um, so what Sir Dave Brailsford did with that team was he was, um, uh, they took a hundred, you know, or I think it was even more than that, a hundred data points uh, from the size of the, uh, the, the weight of the chain ring uh, on the bike to their sleeping to the, you know, right the way through nutrition to their clothing to um, like all sorts of different things to the point whereby like sleeping, for example, they would, um, uh, they would take the athlete's bed and bedding with them. And every, cause obviously the tour de France, they would move around like it's 21 different locations, 21 days. So would take the bed every day to take the bed down, put it up in the hotel and the new location so that they had the same environment to sleep in every single night that was comfortable. And so they would get a better night's sleep. And, and then, you know, shaving a gram off here off the chain ring would, would save, you know, 0.5 watts, but over 190 kilometers in a race, you know, it, it would make such a massive difference, but they did that with a hundred different things. And of course, you know, Sky have gone on to dominate, you know, cycling and they've won, we've won seven uh, Tour de France over the last eight years. Um, Egan Bernal was the latest one. Uh, we, we absolutely crushed the 2012 Olympics and had moderate success in 2016 as well, you know, so there's a lot which small business owners can learn here, but I think business owners try to make two, two big changes too quickly and that's where they kind of trip themselves up. So it's, this, it's the little things that they need to stop doing or start doing, I think, that make the biggest difference. A hundred percent. And I think, like you said, there's almost too much content out there. So we're always bouncing back. It's the bright, shiny object syndrome. Like, oh, someone said we should do this. So then you do it and then you don't really follow through on it. And then you bounce over to another thing. Um, so it is so true. So I have that, the top five things. I pulled it up uh, to build cool. a better culture within your team. And the number one thing I think is so huge is using the biggest mistake I see business owners make when they're building a team is they're using I and my and mine instead of we. So we are building this together. We are in this together, but I see a lot of clients where it's like my employees or I want you to do this or I need this done instead of we need to get this done together. And it's one simple word that makes such a big difference. Uh, Cause when you keep using I, it kind of creates that, you know, huge hierarchical problem. Like I'm the king and you're building my empire versus we are building this business together and we are achieving our personal goals together. So that's probably the biggest one uh, that I would recommend everybody. If you have anybody on your team, it's we, it's we, it's we, because without them, you can't do it. So stop using I, stop making them feel like they're just building your empire. You're building it together. So yeah. um, 
we'll go through the other ones really quickly. I see a lot of times people delegate tasks without actually knowing how to do it themselves. Hey, Robin, go do this. Well, how do I do it? I don't know. Figure it out. That builds a terrible culture real quick. Uh, it's, then you really lose credibility with your team because it's like, okay, you're telling me how to do something, but you don't know how to do it. So I'm going to do it this way. And then you get mad anyway when they did it that way. Yeah. Um, I, I have a saying, Paul, which is delegate responsibly. Don't delegate responsibility. <laughs> that is very true. So uh, I see that happen a lot. Uh, and then in that line of delegation before the actual system is in place. So you say, Robin, go do this. And this is kind of how I do it. And then you do it. And it's like, well, that really didn't get us, you know, that really didn't get us to where we want to go. Uh, I really want you to do it this way. So really just take the time to create a systematic process before you delegate. And it you can do that literally in five minutes, you know. Um, and then another one is not having team meetings. So, you know, I come from the corporate world where team meetings are just a waste of time. So a lot of people are like, I'm never having a team meeting. But team meetings are so important. And just like you said, when you went into that law firm, just going around the horn and making sure everyone's good. Hey, what's your goals? Hey, what are you struggling with? This is what we're working on next. Keeping everybody engaged and on the same page. And this is where we want to go. This is how we're going to get there, you know, and really building that together. So having those regular team meetings and making sure they're productive and making sure they're constrained by time. Uh, when I came from the corporate world, team meetings would last forever because they said it's a three hour meeting. So the first two hours and 45 minutes would be a bunch of fluff. And then the last 15 minutes would be that's, this is what we came here to do. So having that time, the, the whole Parkinson's law thing is, is alive and well when it comes to meetings. Oh, absolutely. I've got a quick question on that. So a lot, a lot of the people watching, listening will be um, kind of one man band. So how mm -hmm. can they, they can't really have a team meeting with themselves or can they, what would you recommend that they would do? Um, you know, on a regular basis to kind of check in with themselves? That, yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, it's a great question. So what I do, like, so for my coaching business, I'm a one-man band. For our local businesses, I'm not. Um, you know, so what I do is I have a little journal right here. It sits on my desk. Um, and usually <clears throat> once a week, every Friday, I just kind of go through the week of, you know, what were the wins? What are the things I need to work on? And just kind of document it. It's, it's really just there. And then I can always look back and like, oh yeah, we actually did have some accomplishments because uh, I might've forgotten about it. And I'll do, I do the 12 week year. So there's a ton of different variations on it, but the 12 week years, you know, keeps me in line and I can kind of go through, this is my goal for the 12 weeks. Am I doing it? What are the lead indicators on that? kind of like your thing of, I forget the exact numbers, but it's like 70, 10 and two, something That's like it. that. Yep. Yep. So, you know, that, that could be what you check in in every week. I said, I needed to have 70, you know, intro conversations. I needed to have 10, you know, actual real conversations with people about what their problems are and if they're right fit. And then I need to bring on two new clients. If that's what your 70, 10 and two is, then how did you do this week? If you got to 60, why? Um, if you got to 80, what worked really well? And then you're always slowly pivoting to get, you know, more fine tuned. So you can still do these things. Uh, when it's a one man band, it really goes down on you to make sure it happens because it's really easy to blow those things off because they don't seem that important on the micro level. Yeah. Oh, I, I just, I, you know, I haven't got the time for journaling. I'll, I'll just park that and maybe I'll, I'll just catch up with it next week. And it's like, you know, then four weeks have passed and you haven't journaled and you, you haven't checked them yourself. You don't know what wins you've had. You, you don't know what's missing on the to-do list, you know? So I, I think it's absolutely vital. I mean, I, I try and check in every day if I can, just um, even if it's just a very quick five minutes where I'm just going to blast through my to-do list, make, make a plan for tomorrow, what's on the to-do list for tomorrow. And then I can kind of go to bed with a, you know, no conscience. You know, I know that I've got my plan 
plan in place and I don't have to go to bed worrying about stuff, what I've got to get done. Um, and that, that seems to be kind of pretty effective. So we've got, we've got using I, me and I, my and me, uh, and instead of we is one mistake. So delegating tasks without responsibility, uh, not having team meetings. So, um, what, what, what are the other two kind of mistakes which you commonly see? So the other one was delegating before the proper system is actually in place. So kind of yep. two separate ones. Sometimes you delegate when you don't even know how to do it. The other times you delegate, you know how to do it, but you don't actually create a process or system around it. Uh, and then the last one that I see when people don't have systems and processes in place, they hire for talent uh, instead of personality. And so I usually equate this to sports. You could have the best player on your team in the league. So if you're in the States, you know, you could have LeBron James on your team, but if he doesn't fit your culture, it doesn't really matter. So, and when you have the right system and processes in place, you can hire for personality. You can hire people that you love to hang out with. And that goes a lot further than, Hey, this is like the best. He is just the best, you know, baker ever. But he, if he doesn't like anybody and he's not fun to be around, it doesn't matter how well he bakes cakes, your business is going to crumble. So I see way too many people hire for talent because they don't have the ability, they don't have the systems and processes to train what them, train them what they need to do. They just rely on their talent, which then also means they usually overpay them because they don't have the systems and processes in place. I, I remember when, uh, I'm not a fan of Man City, Manchester City, soccer team here, but they hired um, Mario Balotelli and when it was announced, they you could see everybody was just like, oh my word, this is a disaster zone waiting to happen. Because the guy's just, a, he's a super talented footballer, but terribly angry. And then straight away, like his first match, he gets a red card and all of his teammates are just like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's, and that, and that carried on. And then eventually, you know, he didn't last particularly long there. He scored lots of goals, like, you know, and, and they did okay. But just team, you know, fit wise, you could see that it just wasn't a good fit and actually it ended up causing more damage than good if you get one big player in, but they're just not a good fit. So I to- totally get that, totally on board with that. Awesome. So that, that's five amazing tips, actually. And uh, um, if it's okay, I'll probably just share a, uh, like a, a very, bu- you know, bulleted list of those five Perfect. things. I think every business. Sony can learn from those. Um, cool. So what, um, talk to us about kind of what you're working on at the moment. Yeah. So, um, I used to do all one-on-one coaching and then I realized the power of a group is so much more powerful than one-on-one because not only can we learn from other people and grow with other people, we have a lot more accountability. So, you know, it's kind of the whole team concept or, you know, I usually equate it to like going to the gym. So everyone says they, everyone knows they should go exercise. But when it's just one person, like if I say, oh, it's five, five, 11 in the morning, I should probably go exercise. But if I told Robin, I'll meet you down at the corner of the street and we're going to go for a run at 530, I'm going to be there because I know other people are waiting for me. So I've yeah. left the one-on-one world. Um, for me, my ideal client is stressed out, burned out business owners. And I would give them stuff to go do. And then they'd come back in a week and say, I just got too busy. I couldn't do it. Um, so now I've transitioned into more of a mastermind group program uh, because I do love the power of a group. It brings everybody up. It inspires other people. And it makes you realize, hey, there's people out there that are going through the same problems as me, you know, and we can figure this out together. So we'll have more fun together. So I'm actually just in the process of launching, transitioning from one-on-one coaching to group mastermind programs um, where we get together once a week and we focus on things. We have hot seats, we have guest speakers, all that good stuff. So uh, that's what I'm working on at the moment, at least from a coaching standpoint. I still have my local businesses here. Uh, I'm 
a partner in a landscaping business. So we run a landscaping business and then I also own a dog walking and pet sitting business. So <laughs> cool. I got my hands in a couple different things. Um, I do love the local business. I love working with the local community, hiring local people. Like I just like the aspect of building those teams and serving clients and taking businesses that other people, you know, just like I said before, there's a lot of people that start a landscaping business because they're good at it, but they don't know how to run the business. Plenty of people that love walking dogs, but they don't know how to run a business around it. So they usually be, they usually stay one man bands. And that's where I see the opportunity of building a team and empowering a team and getting people out there so we can really, you know, make a bigger, bigger impact. So um, that's kind of what I got going on from the coaching standpoint of mastermind and then local businesses running as well. I, I, I'm, I, we'll have to have a chat offline about the um, the, the, the pet uh, dog walking business because uh, I actually mentor on a program called the Pet Professional Network, um, which uh, um, one of my clients actually set up because obviously there's, there's kind of very little or no regulation in, in pet professional businesses. So, um, so she set up a program which is about business mentoring, but for pet professional businesses um, and, and getting great results in there, you know, and she started out just as, as herself, you know, as a dog walker, moved into dog behavior work. And, and now she's kind of mentoring people like through that process and providing certifications and they're about to make it, we're about to make it, um, uh, uh, CPD, um, uh, sort of certified, which means that actually it goes towards other levels of qualification. So it's pretty cool. It's a great industry to be in. I think it's like when, when, cause you know that people like, especially when animals and children are concerned, like it, there's people who are just deeply passionate about those sorts of things. So I can see why you've set up and got involved with those businesses. Um, the other thing I like as well, it kind of, it means that you're sharpening your sword. And I think that's super important. You can kind of, cause one of the dangers to kind of moving into a group program is that, um, you know, you, you kind of become I'm a jack of all trades helping all of these businesses and not necessarily a master at none and kind of the you're not the, but you're actually putting yourself at the coal face so you can kind of see what's happening out there in business world and and see what kind of you know what impacts the economy is having on those businesses and how business owners are adapting to kind of new technologies and things like that um I love, I love the analogy of kind of like the gym thing. Cause like 10 past 5am, like I would be there. If, if I said, Paul, we're going to go to the gym. I, I would absolutely 100% be there. Um, and, and, it, and it's absolutely vital. One of the things I've, sorry, I know I'm rabbiting on a little bit. I'll give you a chance to talk again in a second, Paul, but one of the most interesting things I've noticed about uh, group coaching, because, because again, there'll be other people who are in a similar situation to us. who have done one-to-one thinking about kind of setting up a group program. So this is really pertinent. One of the things I noticed about group coaching is that a lot of the time questions I would ask, you would never think of asking. And actually that's one of the best ways of learning, which is like, why didn't I think of that? Like, why didn't I ask that? You know, so quite often in group, we see a totally different perspective on, um, you know, problems and challenges that we see in our business. Yeah. I mean, it's, and what you realize as you go through the whole business ownership world is someone in that group has already gone through problems that you haven't yet or have or going through right now. So you can get to where you want to go that much quicker because I've had a lot of experience, but I haven't, I've seen probably, you know, less than 1% of what's out there. So when you can get a collection of say 10 people on a zoom call once a week, uh, you know, and someone's got a problem, it's like, well, I, this is my feedback and this is how I would say it. But then you got other people like, oh, I actually did that. And here's the game plan. And then it's like, oh, I just, you know, I just jumped like four levels and didn't really have to, you know, bash my head and scrape my knees and I can get there because somebody else already bashed their head and scraped their knees. So that's really where I see the value of it. And then like, yeah, like you said, like, hey, just, you know, FYI, this is uh, this is what I'm working on. I'm like, oh, I never even thought about that. Um, so 
when you get people from different industries who handle things differently and who just think differently, uh, you can really get a collection of information. And then, like you said, the accountability to actually execute on that information, because we can get information anywhere. I can Google it. I can go to YouTube. But when you have a group of people making sure you actually follow through on it, it, it just allows you to get to where you want to go that much quicker. And you, and you automatically introduce the notion of like we, not I. It's not like Paul's leading this. Actually, it's the mastermind, which the group owns. And, exactly. And, and, and that's kind of, I think, where you get the biggest kind of result. So what sort of clients are you looking for to kind of come onto that accelerator? Or, uh, sorry, mastermind. Yeah. So it's really um, anybody that run, runs a legitimate business. So they're running a legitimate business, they're service-based business owner. And uh, we are focusing on how do we leverage your business to build that life that you love. So we all started our business to achieve some sort of goal, like I talked about in the, in the beginning. What is that goal? Let's document it. And then how can we help you get there? So whatever service you provide, that's really, you know, what we like to focus on. I don't love, you know, retail. I don't love e-commerce. I don't like st- when we're just selling physical things. I like people who provide service because I like that people aspect of serving other people. So really anybody that runs any type of service-based business, whether it's online, in-person, um, that's really who it is and people who are ready to do more and ready to be in that setting. So it might not be for everybody. You know, you really got to be committed to your goals, but you also be, have to be committed to helping other people as well. So it's kind of the rising tide raises all ships concept that, hey, we're all in this together. Um, and let's, you know, let's really build some strong bonds and accountability and have fun along the way. Cool. So I, I'm sure people will be interested to kind of uh, either quiz you about the mastermind or just have a chat with you in general. So how, what's what would the next steps be if somebody wants to speak with you? Yeah. So if you just wanted to speak and chat, you can literally just email me, paul at paulmaskill.com. Uh, that's what I tell everybody on my podcast to do. People will send me emails, give me feedback, have questions. Um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. That's direct email. I answer it. I don't have a VA in the Philippines that does my emails. Uh, and then if you wanted to check out the mastermind, just go to paulmaskill.com slash mastermind. Uh, there's an application there. Probably takes two minutes. I'll review it and then I'll reach out to you to have a chat. Awesome. Um, and, and anybody who's, um, who's obviously listening and watching this right now as well, you should definitely check out the Business Owners Freedom Formula podcast. Um, Paul's had some amazing guests on there, uh, including yours truly. Uh, obviously, obviously, ours was the best episode, wasn't it, Paul? And, you know, I'm not going to kind of big myself up too much, but I think we had a good chat, didn't we? Kind of du- we did. Kind of peel back <laughs> a can of worms, open up a can of worms and kind of peel back the skin on what it's like to run a business in the modern age. Uh, so definitely go and check out the Business Owners Freedom Formula podcast. Uh, and then finally, Paul, I got my, my kind of last question, which I always ask the guests is, um, we're going to hop onto the, uh, into the uh, fearless business time machine now, and we're going to go back 10 years. Um, and I'm going to introduce you to Paul Maskell from 10 years ago. And you've got one piece of sage advice that you can give him. What would, what would that be? So 10 years ago, I was in the corporate world, 2009. Uh, my sage advice to anybody would be, don't just follow the status quo um, and do what everyone else tells you to do. So everyone told me, go to school, go to college, get a good job, climb the corporate ladder and do that for the next 40 years. Uh, so, you know, my sage advice would be the worst case scenario is never as bad as you think it's going to be. Because to me, when I was in that point, everyone said, oh, you can't just like quit your job. Like, and to me, the worst case scenario was I quit my job, I go start a business, it fails, and then I go get another job. So don't be afraid to go do what you really want to do, because I'd rather do what I wanted to do and fail than have the regret of saying, 
I wonder what would have happened if I had quit my job because the further you get on in life, if you're, if you have a job and you still hate it every day that goes by is the probability of you quitting that job is probably lessening. Um, so, I mean, that was where I was and I was like, I just got to do this. If it fails, at least I know it failed and then I can always go get a job. I can go figure it out. Um, that's, that's definitely sage advice. There was a, I think it was Tim Ferriss uh, did a talk, a TED talk called fear about fear setting. So it's the opposite of goal setting. And it's exactly what you just described, which is kind of like, look at, look at the worst case scenarios. How can we mitigate it? If it all goes, you know, wrong, you know, what, what's the worst case scenario that will come out of that. And actually a lot of the time, the, the positive, the potential positive outcome vastly outweighs what the negative outcome is. And actually you write it down on paper and it looks like it's a no brainer as it was 10 years ago for you to make that change. So that's awesome, Paul. Uh, listen, um, we're going to wrap things up. You've um, been an absolute superstar in terms of like the, the value and knowledge which you've um, dropped onto the podcast today, Paul. So I'm super grateful for having you on as a guest today. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Enjoyed it. 